With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Still Giggs goes. He's through. He scored. Ryan Giggs. He's at the goal that's played for Manchester United. To the left. Right footed. It's a clear header. And then to the left. Soccer has won the European Cup for Manchester United. Hello and welcome to the Stradicast. My name is Dale O'Donnell. I'm delighted to be joined by Mike and Raman this week. Obviously, we're facing into an international break after the 2 0 win over Burnley. Um, and ne- that means next week we won't have a podcast, so there'll be a bit of a break. You won't have to listen to us next week. I'm sure you're happy. Um, Raman, starting off with the Burnley game, and I suppose we'll start off. How are you this week, and what did you make of the game? Yeah, first of all, um, hi everyone, and um, yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Uh, another week where uh, everything sort of um, is uh, in the headlines for different reasons, various reasons, much better performance, so in a much better mood than previous, uh, a victory always helps that mood, doesn't it? No, absolutely, and I suppose the the performance and uh, coming on the back of, of two consecutive defeats, the, the attitude even on this podcast was, was, was pretty dire. Um, so was social media. People were downbeat. It, it wasn't what we expected, really. Well, well some people expected it, but when you start a season, you kind of expect to be kind of optimistic. And the games weren't too difficult, but two defeats in your first four games, it's, 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 um, it's not exactly ideal. Mike... Do you think that the the Burnley game is is a sign of things to come, or was it a once off for you? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, Burnley were absolutely appalling. Were, were terrible. I mean, we'll not get an easier game all season. Uh, I suspect that they'll probably go down actually as well. I thought that even before the season started that because um, they conceded last season, Burnley they conceded a lot of shots actually in goal, and and there was a lot of last ditch tackles that were made by defenders. Yeah, that's only going to get you so far before you start getting caught out. And I mean, Sean Dyche, you can see, he was, he was, I wouldn't say tearing his hair out because he hasn't got any, but um, you can see he was going <laughs> ballistic in the first half because they weren't, they didn't press us at all. And Paul Popper was allowed to kind of waltz around in the middle of the park, picking wherever he comes in. So um, it was, uh, it was, it was, an, it was an easy win. Lukaku should have had about nine goals in that game. Um, he's, he is without doubt the best shit finisher I've ever seen. Um, but uh, I mean, we won. But obviously, the headlines, as Raman said, are, are, um, are off the pitch again. The best shit finisher you've ever seen. <laughs> definitely, definitely. As far as descriptions go, we we've had a few tweets about some of um, your bits on the podcast, Mike. But I think that's nearly going to top the list. The best shit finisher I've ever seen. Um, of course, it brings back the, the open goal miss against Spurs, which would have, I think, changed the tune of the game. But 
against um, Burnley, I know we mentioned this last week, Raman, about the Kaku not looking exactly 100% fit, but against Burnley, I, I noticed a significant difference. Yeah, I think it was um, a, a lot different in terms of, uh, again, I'm probably alluding back to what I said. Most of the time, if you listen back to maybe the, the podcast from a, a couple of weeks ago, about in terms of uh, from a coaching perspective or, or in terms of a tactical point of view when your <clears throat> strike force in particular uh, your forward players and midfielders as well are linking up a lot closer so the gaps between uh, each other is not so great and that's where I think um, Jesse Lingard was very very important as well just creating that uh, the link with Lukaku a bit closer able to sort of uh, sort of give and go um, and I think that that sort of bodes well. Um, Sanchez, again, uh, I think he done quite well, to be fair, where linking up with Lukaku and, and Lingard himself as well kept the distance and the gaps a lot closer, where the play could be more intricate, where the play could be quicker. And obviously, you know, well, I think Burnley um, were run ragged, to be fair. And Lukaku was a handful for, for in particular, for me, um, their centre half and captain are already absolutely running ragged. You just mentioned Sanchez, Ramon, and a few people picked up on when he was substituted. He didn't mm-hmm. look too happy. Um, I know we're kind of speculating here, but do you think that might have been down to frustration on his behalf or frustration with being taken off? Um, probably more the fact been taken off because I think he's probably felt as well that that was one of his better games um, and he was doing well uh, um, I have to say I don't mind that sort of reaction a little bit when when the player is playing well <laughs> you know you just think yep yeah, it's probably because he wants to stay on and actually you know put the ball on the back of the net to be fair um, nothing worse than a striker going so many games without a goal even though someone will say oh it doesn't affect me it doesn't affect me I'm pretty sure there's there's a percentage uh, in their mind that does affect them. So he's probably thinking, well, look, you know, Burnley are there for the taking. I'd like to stay on. I think I can grab a goal. Uh, and that's probably what I think would have been his mindset, that, um, you know, being frustrated at being hauled off. I don't think he's angry in terms of towards the coaching staff at all or anything like that or towards Jose. I think it's just a case of, well, look, let me stay on. Uh, I, I want to get a goal as well. I think that's what it was, to be fair. Yeah, no, I haven't checked, but I'm sure the Daily Mail made sure that they got that angle that he was furious with Jose Mourinho and, and so on, just to fit that narrative. Um, obviously, Rashford came on, didn't last very long, but with a penalty and then was, was sent off. What did you make it whole incident, Mike? Because obviously he brushed heads with Phil Barsley. That's not allowed. It's against the rules. But Phil Barsley did the same thing after kicking out at Rashford. Do you not think both should have went? Or why did why did the referee decide just send Rashford off and give Barris the yellow card? I thought the referee was terrible in that game. That's he was the worst thing about that game. Um it was it was the wrong decision. I mean I I don't I mean by the lesser law it is a red card, but by the lesser law Barsley should have had two red cards in that incident. Um I can't believe he didn't get sent off. But this, this whole thing of, you know, when close square up and sort of put their heads together, I think we, that just shouldn't be a red card. It should be a yellow card. You know, it's um, somebody's actually been headbutted. <laughs> it's just, that's not a headbutt. Um, but I thought the referee handled that very poorly. 
um, clearly was influenced by the crowd. Um, Bill Barsley should have walked. Um, in fact, definitely should have blown up as soon as Barsley kicked out in the way that he did, because that alone was actually a red card. And um, if the referee had actually done his job, then we could have even avoided Rashford being sent off in the first place. Um, so really, I put that down to the referee rather than Rashford, and I can't understand why Mourinho didn't come out and defend Rashford afterwards and say and mention that, that Bill Barsley should be sent off. He said he just sort of had a pop at Rashford, which is really kind of mystifying that to me. Did he? Very poor from the referee. Did he have a pop at Rashford? Yeah, he was asked, he was asked on the BBC. He was asked about um, you know about Rashford sending off. He said, "Oh, well, you know, he was he was he was very naive and he's very silly." And they didn't mention anything about Phil Bardsley, which is very strange. I think he said something about Phil Bardsley should have more experience after having twenty years in the game. And I think the comment about being naive is just about Rashford being a young lad, and he can accept that. I, I should hope. Mm, I, I, I think as a manager, you know, especially with Mourinho, I'd have expected to be more vociferous and maybe just saying that Barsley should have been red carded because he should have been red carded. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I, I, I think with the the angles that Mourinho went with was that he he didn't see it. You know, the the kind of cliche for managers not to get caught up in in such a thing because he don't even end up getting fined himself if he, if he said something. But uh, yeah, I do understand that. Um. Ramon, like, obviously, we've, we've seen down the years David Beckham getting sent off uh, for, for, for kicking out and the different things, Rooney the same, for clapping a referee's faces. This is all part of a young footballer learning. I know it's, not all footballers do this, but I'd like to think that Rashford will learn from this. I think he will. I mean, to be fair, he was provoked, let's face it, and I think quite rightly mentioned earlier on that, uh, you know, Bardsley should have gone as well. And you're right, you can't put your head against someone else's head. Um, you know, I'm not going to call it a, a headbutt because, to be fair, it wasn't really a headbutt as such, was it? it was, it, his head went towards the direction, but it wasn't a, a headbutt as such. Um, he'll learn, of course he'll learn. And you've got to respect the fact that it's not long after the incident happened after the game, you know, he, he quite happily put out an apologetic um, message on social media, didn't he? Uh, Apologising to the fans and the team, etc. So, look, lots and lots of players made mistakes um, or something that they're doing in the heat of the moment. Phil Barsley did wind him up uh, um, just a tad, didn't he, really? Let's face it, I mean, nobody really saw the kick out that he'd done uh, because it was probably not in the vision or in the sight of um, the referee or the uh, officials. But that's where I think and I know they keep saying about the VAR is for a different reason. You know, maybe maybe those are the sorts of incidents they should look at retrospectively as well, but, because but, I, I don't, but I don't think there's any problem. That, that's been at United previously. It's grown up a United fan. Previously, in his Sunderland shirt, he's died trying to claim a penalty. Um, in this, he's kicked out one of our youngsters got him sent off by... Well, he didn't get him sent off. Well, I suppose he, he looked for a reaction. Um, he's a weird sort, um, this Phil Battersley. Do you know, I, I remember liking him as a player. You know, He wasn't a great player, but he worked hard. And now he he's left. It's just a strange way that he carries himself against United. I don't quite understand it. But I think it's one of those where sometimes the... the, the in the heat of the moment, heat of the battle, you know, you, do, you don't always think about 
I was a former player here, or you know, you don't, you maybe not as considerate of that fact. I mean, it's funny because uh, after the game finished, uh, obviously certain people put up certain things on social media, including MUTV pundits. Now, ironically, his his brother had actually liked a particular thing that another pundit had put. So I, I'm not going to read too much into that in the fact that obviously um, being the former player, because these things can happen, can't they? He's he's a very spiky character anyway when he wants to be. Um, and he probably feels a bit frustrated that maybe, you know, he, in his career, he could have done better maybe. Um during the game, the game time, you're not necessarily going to be thinking that, well, I wish I'd done this. But during the heat of the battle as well, you're also going to be thinking, well, we're getting we're getting a bit of a tonk in here, really, you know, and we're getting run ragged. And when you see Rashford running, at you, you know, you're probably getting a bit more concerned. And you probably think, well, let's just let's just come a little dig in and see how he reacts. And, and unfortunately, Rashford fell into the trap. Um, I'm not I'm not overly concerned about something like that. I think. You know, some of our former players have done that as well. You know, or some of our players that have gone on to play against their former teams. It it happens. It happens to be fair. Yeah, I suppose it, it, and when, as a fan, when it's one of your players doing it against one of their former clubs, we we tend to enjoy it, like Robin van Persie scoring against <laughs> scoring against Arsenal. But which is something I, I want to touch on before before we we leave the, the win over Burnley. I think it, it really deserves a mention. Mike is um, Marlon Fellaini's performance. Throughout the summer, we were, we were kind of dealt the card with Fellaini that he was holding the club at ransom. Um, the vast majority, including myself, didn't want him getting a new contract. But he started against Burnley. It brought out a lot of criticism on social media. Why is he starting? But he was arguably our best player on the pitch. He set the tone for the game. He was brilliant. He was intercepting balls. He was passing um, was quite good, and he was setting up attacks. You know, and more importantly, as 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 Mourinho says, that he's probably the best header of the ball in the Premier League. Not only is he dangerous in the opponent's box, he also helps out in the in her own box. Um, what did you make of his performance, Mike? Yeah, it was quite good. Yeah, but I mean, there is the caveat again that that Burnley team is just not very good. Um, so if we can't play well against them, I just don't see what's, what's the point of them even being at the club. Um, Fellaini does this. They play a really good game every once in a while and we'll all think, yeah, he's, actually maybe he's worth keeping. And then he'll be absolutely terrible for the next 15 games that he plays. Um, and then he'll get injured for a bit and he'll be out for three months. Um, he's, yeah, he played well, but he shouldn't still be at the club. <laughs> I appreciate it's quite a brutal analysis, but no, this brings a question from um, Desi Vahi from the, the Facebook forum that would you take Pogba out of the team on the back of recent performances and start Fred or would you keep, would you take Fellaini out and start Fred? Given how we performed against Burnley, would you keep Fellaini in the team? And maybe take out Pogba. I didn't think Pogba did too bad, but it's just one of the questions we have from the forum. Um, no, I, I, I would. Um, we may as well leave it as is for now. I mean, it's hard to say. There's, there's, such, there's been such a lack of consistency with team selection for the last two years. Um, it's really hard to say. I just really. Uh, Fellaini's not a player I particularly trust, really. 
Um, yeah, he plays a good game every once in a while. He's a decent impact player. But to be honest, he does get injured a lot. He also gets booked a lot, um, which means he gets suspended quite a bit. And um, he also lacks pace as well. It's all very well in playing well against that Burnley team. But I suspect had he played in midfield against Spurs, they would have ran rings around him as they did around Matic. Um, who is another player in our team who lacks pace. He doesn't have the sufficient pace to really play in the team. Yeah, it's, it's something I picked up on, Ram, and I'd be interested to get your views on it, is I find it difficult in situations like this to to really evaluate a single footballer. Um, given the way the midfield is set up against Burnley with Fellaini, Matic uh, and Pogba, it's more of a... Did the system work rather than an individual player? Do, do do these players bounce off one another and it works rather than, you know, I take this out and put Fred in and it might not be the same parcel. Is it up to Mourinho now, in the same way with, with the defensive partnership, to find the right system? It might not be, might not mean the best players play, but the best system for the team. It's, it's suppose something that Klopp has done at Liverpool. I think when it comes to systems, I always I'm always an advocate of just being mindful of who the opposition is. Um, for example, if you playing against the likes of say Burnley, you know, in my opinion, you should always go out and attack a team like that because of their, you know, frailties that they might have. Whether it's defensively, whether it's being a bit light in midfield, whether it's because their forwards don't press uh, up top very high. So I, I think it's one of those that that's where manage, managers are paid for what they what they're supposed to be doing best, which is trying to understand: Do I need to utilize the same tactics in the next game? Do I need to bring in another player? I mean, Fellaini did do very very well. He, he was my man of the match, to be fair, on on, on Sunday. Um, and I think again for the third fourth game running, I think Pogba wasn't the standout midfielder again, which is a bit of a concern, if I'm honest with you, because that's the type of game you'd expect him to take by the scruff of the neck. So some players will play a little bit better with other players because maybe the understanding, the chemistry is better. Um, And certain players will be drafted in for the disciplined way that they approach the game. And I think that's one of the reasons why actually Jose seems to like bringing Fellaini in, uh, whether it's for a full game or, or even as a sub. Because I think he just trusts him. I think he just says to him, this is your job. This is your role. Go and do it. Um, and I, and again, I, I think it's a bit harsh to be critical on Fred at the moment because he's only new and just bedding in. But maybe the first two, three games, a bit of that exuberance. You know, you want to impress the new manager. and Well, not even the new manager, but, you know, you want to impress your new club. You want to impress your teammates. You know, you, you, you made your debut home and away. Uh, the fans, everything. So probably those times when he was slightly ill-disciplined. But again, no no big criticism of Fred. So so I think it depends on opposition. I think it depends on what threat they can bring to to the table and, and what you can offer in reverse as a team going forward and defending. Um, I will say, uh, in terms of Pogba, um, I don't really want to keep harping on about him too much. He's been given ample opportunities um, during the last couple of seasons to to play in his favoured position, his less favoured position, with two holding behind him, one holding behind him, him being pushed further forward, him being the holding midfield. He's had 
ample opportunity at every single aspect of, of his game as a midfielder. These are the types of games you really, really need to dictate. You know, these are the games you need to be... Oh, great, he'd done a superb through ball for Lukaku later in the game. But that's not something unexpected, is it, really? That's not something that you would say, wow, amazing. I, I think you almost it, it. I think as well, Raman, and Pogba clearly has the attributes to be a fantastic player. But when, when Pogba signed, there was this feeling amongst United fans that I don't think a lot of them, don't think a lot of them watched him at Juventus. And they were expecting this Yaya Toure type of player to come back to United and drive games and pick games up by the scruff of the neck and change games. When I watched Pogba and looking back at his time at Juventus, he was partnered by some great players. Pirlo, um, I think Vidal was Marquise there too. Well, Marquisio and Pirlo freed him up, didn't they really? Exactly. And I kind of just feel that when he's surrounded by players like that, that's where I'm coming back to this system and what works for the team and what worked on uh, last weekend against Burnley with Fellaini and stuff. We need to be physical. Burnley are quite a physical team. And you mentioned playing against, depending on the opposition. And that comes into it too. I don't think people knew what they were, what, what to expect when Pogba was coming back. And we're not seeing the player that people thought they were getting. Um, whether that's underwhelming or not, I'm, I'm not not too sure. Whether it's unfair to expect Pogba to be Yaya Tori because I can't see the comparisons whatsoever. Okay, he's big, um, he's strong, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be the same type of footballer as Tori. Um, people are thinking back to the FA Cup um, encounter when he just crashed through our midfield um, and sucked the ball in the back of the net. You know. I've never seen Paul Pogba drive through midfield and and do that. Never. So it's unfair to expect that. And what kind of midfielder do you think he is, Mike? And do you think at the by the end of this season that we'll still have Pogba in our squad um, and that if we'll find a fix to get the best set of him, and what is the best? What can we expect? He's, he's a number 10. But he is. He's, a, he's what you'd say is a modern day number ten. Um, and by the way, you know, we're going on about Yaya Toure. He was a great player. I've got Manchester City fans, and sometimes they would tear their hair out about how staggeringly lazy that Toure could be. Let's just, you know, let's not forget that. But yeah, Pop was a number ten. That's that's what he is. You see, you play him as a number ten because he can find those cute free free balls, and he's. Actually, quite good. If he'd lots of people, if people lots of events should know he's very good at actually arriving late in the box, score goals as well. Just don't feel like there's enough of an opportunity for him to do it. You know, where he is. So yeah, I'd, I'd play him as a number ten. That's all fine in theory, but we we spent eighty nine million on Paul Pogba and Jose Mourinho and Deschamps, the France manager, both play him in a deep midfield role. He doesn't play as number 10 for France or United. So, like, I agree with you. I, I think he'd be much, much better in, in an advanced position um, if the midfield was set up correctly. But how come Jose Mourinho and Deschamps don't agree? And Raman, have you an answer for that? Well, I think... Yeah, go on, Raman. 
Oh, sorry, no, no. Sorry, I thought you said. I thought you said to myself, but I think with regards to um, why they don't agree, it's because sometimes you have to accept that in in whatever team you've got at that present moment in time, maybe he's got or they've got uh, their preferred number ten, who plays almost like a nine and a half. And in terms of that, I mean somebody like Griezmann, who isn't an out and out goal scorer as such, but. He's like a nine and a half almost. So that's probably where uh, Deschamps is thinking for, for France. He's better suited with that deep line midfield position. Now, I agree. Advanced positions, absolutely my preferred choice for somebody like Pogba. But you, you've got to also appreciate, I suppose, from Jose's point of view, that he's thinking, well, actually, if he pulls his socks up and he really, really wants to, he could be our best deep line midfielder full stop. Because out of all the midfielders that we have, on his day, I've said this many times, on his day, he's the best in his position. Whether he's a, whether he's a deep line midfielder, whether he's a 10, he's that good. But unfortunately, we have, apart from Man City's second half, we don't see much of it. So I think that Deschamps and Mourinho are just making sure that they they consider the team first rather than building around Pogba. Because maybe they haven't gained the trust of Pogba throughout his performances in the last couple of seasons to say, OK, we're going to build a team around you. I think Jose sort of tried to do it, but then if the attitude isn't reciprocated from Pogba, then rightfully so, Jose's going to think twice and think, actually, maybe I don't want to build a team completely around you because I can't trust whether you actually want to be here. And can I just say one more thing about this before um, we... Uh, salvage my sanity and move on from this Pogba debate and this piling on him. Um, can someone tell me how, apart from maybe Lukaku, how many players Mourinho was actually through? Because this really goes into the wider debate with that. Luke Shaw. Everyone that we brought into the club. No, Luke Shaw is at the level he was when he was at Southampton. That's that's where he is. He's about he's, he's got back up to where he was at Southampton. He's not. He was at Southampton. He's not better right now than he was there. I think he's showing um, signs that Mourinho's gotten back after a serious leg break, which today he confirmed nearly cost him his leg. Yeah, but he's not actually improved. That's what I'm saying. He's, he's at the level he was about four years ago. Um, so there's you've got two players. Lingard as well, arguably, but... Uh, you, you're really struggling to find players. I mean, you know, just you the defenders. I mean, Eric Bailly is great. I mean, first arrived and has gone backwards. I, 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 Lopez, Foster, Solva, defensive which are the players you never distribute. Um, and a number of other players. So, am I even getting a look in? Why isn't Timothy Foster mentioned the squad? So, you know, before we pile in on it's not the only one, is it? Well, he, he's the one that cost or broke the record for how much we paid for him. He, he was supposed to come in as a star and he's gone backwards. But I suppose that backs up your point that the players aren't, some players aren't developing under Mourinho. But it depends what way you look at it because you could say you could say a name of a player and someone will have a stat somewhere that suggests that he he's not better. It's kind of a cat and mouse kind of argument. But Lingard's definitely improved. And I think in the first season of Mourinho, no one could argue that Valencia was, was fantastic. Um, so who else? Ramon, your view? Um, Trying to think who else. 
has kind of significantly improved. Lukaku, I think, is all around game um, since he's come to United has gone miles ahead. Um, there was there was this myth when he joined that he had a terrible first touch. His awareness wasn't great, and even some um, pundit that supports Juventus singled out that Alvaro Morata was significantly more intelligent than than Lukaku. Well. Since he joined United and Murata went to Chelsea, I certainly don't see that. If Murata's been a flop and Lukaku keeps getting better and better. No, I think Lukaku has done better than Murata. Completely agree with you. Um, I I don't know about that particular point that the person made, but I can probably give a slightly different angle on that. I'm not going to harp on about it too much, but I think possibly with uh, with parts of last season where Murata was clever in picking up positions where he used his aerial ability, knowing that his teammate, Azpilicueta, will pick him out with a, with a pinpoint accurate cross. Um, he did pick up very, very you know clever positions where he almost became very, very lethal. Uh, but, I mean, he's he's not necessarily our problem, Morata. But, but going back to Lukaku, uh, I think he's done... He's done very well in terms of his all-round game generally. I do think his first touch still could do with a little bit of improving. But, I, but you know... It might never improve. Look at Wayne Rooney. Yeah. Well, absolutely. No, I, I agree that sometimes certain things... Can't, and when you're saying about who has Mourinho improved and, you know, you mentioned Lingard, I think there's a bit of a difference here as well. Remember that certain managers have a different way of managing where some people are more man management and others are more hands-on coaching. And I don't think it's a bad idea um, with Kieran Kenner and obviously Michael Carrick in the coaching roles that they've been given. Give them time. I don't think it's necessarily Mourinho who's necessarily going to improve these players per se. Yes, he might give them that added confidence. He might give them a bit of reverse psychology to G them up or whatever. But in terms of coaching... I don't think it's necessarily going to be Jose who's going to be doing all that sort of mindset change, etc. on the on the field. I think it's more psychologically does it. And Luke Shaw alluded to that, didn't he? He actually he said basically that the, the way uh, Jose sort of has has um, prepped him in the last so many months, it's helped him in that way. You've got to remember, play, and I said this before, Matic was actually the one saying to Jose, "I want to come and play for you." You know, so. Credit where it's due with some players. I think with McTominay, he done very well. He gave him a big boost. Again, he's just a young midfielder who I'm hoping you know will stay at United and do well for us over the years. Um, in terms of, I think the interesting one will be players such as Rashford, Martial, and Sanchez. And that's where I'm hoping that over the last couple of games where we've been much more attacking, maybe with the influence of uh, Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick. Jose himself will understand that actually we have got to we've got to attack more. So the coaches that he's got around him now may just change that balance and change his mentality for approaches to games. Absolutely, and that, that actually brings up a question that um, that we got on Twitter. Hold on, I'm going to get that up. Um, bear with me a moment. Um, it, it alludes to the tree on the left. It's weird. Rashford, Martial and, and Sanchez, of course. And the question is basically asking which one of the three would you pick and what's the best way 
Mourinho can deal with, say, selecting one, leaving one out, and making sure that everyone, especially Rashford and Martial, develop. Um, that question is coming from calloffside.com. So, Mike, which one would you start with? And then how is he going to get the best out of the other two? Um, should he sell one? Wait, has he not spent all summer trying to get rid of one? Well, yes, but he isn't allowed to. I, I, I don't know, probably Sanchez, but um, none of the three have been particularly... Uh, Great over the last over the last year, um, so well not for us anyway. So um, it's really hard to say because I don't think any of those three players are the kind of attacking players that Mourinho likes. Um, Rashford really is probably better through the middle than he is out wide. Mourinho doesn't really go for centre forwards like Rashford. So um, yeah, and obviously him and Martial, I'm not even sure of speaking terms. I'm not sure I, as much as I like Martial, I think it would be better for him um, to leave. Um, he clearly wanted to leave. I don't know why the club didn't acquiesce to that. Because of Sanchez, Sanchez is what you would say is an old passion like inside forward. You know, he is great at working off the central centre forward and coming in and scoring goals. Um, and he does take risks to the player as well, which is why he gives the ball away a lot. Because that's just part of his game. You have to accept that. Um, you know, he's that kind of old-fashioned South American street footballer. And I'm not really sure Mourinho is a huge fan of that kind of style of player either because their play is based more on improvisation. Um, I don't know, probably Sanchez, but that's a difficult one, really. Ramon, how about you? What's the best way, in your opinion, to, to fit them all in? You know, I'm thinking back to... 2008 when Tevez, Rooney, Ronaldo, uh, three prolonged attack. Obviously, Mourinho is not going to do that with this three because he's Lukaku already, but we haven't got much going on the right. So what way is he going to fit this in? And obviously that, that would mean eliminating Jesse Lingard, which who has been, in my opinion, absolutely brilliant in recent weeks. Uh, the thing is... I suppose that's probably why he wanted Perisic, didn't he, really? Because I think he thought that somebody like him would be the, the perfect type of player. OK, not necessarily out wide on the right, but, you know, he wanted somebody who's a, a player who can deliver a cross, um, but also work hard and that hard working ethic, uh, which, which is a bit of a strange one because I think they've all three of them have got different attributes. And by the way, in my personal opinion, I don't think any three of them are actually wingers anyway, really. I think all three of them are, are centre forwards, full stop. Um, Rashford, everybody. Just, just mentioning that, Ram, and sorry to interrupt, we, we, we just published a piece in the blog looking back at some clips of David Beckham and Ryan Giggs. And I mentioned mm-hmm. in that piece that that type of winger, two type, wide chalk in the boots type, that's almost gone. And it's very hard to find because of the influence of, of wing backs nowadays. Like you got Kieran Trippier. Um, mm-hmm. that type of wing-back, Kyle Walker, quick. And the winger's job now seems to be to cut in, like the way Juan Mata cuts in. And you don't necessarily need to be extremely quick. You be technically brilliant and moments of class. Why can't you go back to proper wingers, chase up and down the wing, 
helping the fullback out and whipping crosses in. Last season, our best crosser was the person that should be in the centre of the box, Lukaku. Uh, Sorry, can I just cut in on that? Um, So, I mean, Beckham was essentially a central midfielder who was converted into a wide player. Um, And in terms of gigs, and then if you go back further to Chelsea, I don't remember those two guys doing a lot of tracking back when they were wingers. Um, And part of the problem with wingers like that is that they're very easy to defend against. Um, And um, also they, they had a habit of being quite inconsistent as well. And Giggs was inconsistent, people forget that, but he was quite an inconsistent player when he was younger. That's, that's why we don't really have them, because we don't really allow a lot of flexibility within the system that we play, whereas wing-backs do allow that, because you can switch to back five, or you can push them up and allow some players extra midfielders. That's that's why the full-backs game has changed. And if they're really good, can have them kind of put into the middle of it as well. This brings back the debate about goalkeepers nowadays because we look back at the weekend with the mistakes that Czech and Allison made with trying to play from their feet and play the ball out and that's the way the game has gone and, and look it's great in the eye I understand that but there is an argument that back to basics that we're forgetting about the basics and for me a fullback the basic is to defend and, I, and at times I, I, I watch games and the fullback or wingback might be fantastic going forward but when they're asked to defend, like Danny Rose, Spurs to beat us 3-0. But every ball in that first half that went down Danny Rose's side, passed them by. Every single time. And I'm looking at it thinking, where's the, where's the basics? Where's the the, no, the nose to defend? And it's the same with goalkeepers. People are wondering, should they go back to basics and learn exactly how to catch the ball and position themselves and so on. It just seems nowadays it's so dramatic yet you have to play the ball at your feet. At the end of the day, the goalkeeper's job is to stop the ball going to the back of the net. Um, if he can do that pretty well, shouldn't we be happy? And the same goes for wingers. What is the actual job? Okay, so, uh, the goal... Go on, Ram, a new person. No, 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 please go on, please, Kerry. The, the point in goalkeepers, Dale, is you're still talking about goalkeepers in the way that people talked about them before the back pass through was brought in. And that's why it became more important for goalkeepers to be able to play the ball out and distribute mm. their feet out from the back because of the back pass through. So that's why Alisson, yeah, he made a mistake. He should have booted the ball out. You shouldn't stop him trying to do what he did there. Nine, you know, ninety-nine percent of the time, that won't happen. What yeah, I agree. There? Yeah, no. You know, I, David De Gea is not. David De Gea is not that kind of goalkeeper. He's not been saving as many shots this season. You know, um, so it's it, there, there is, and that's why you have to have goalkeepers to be able to distribute because the back pass through changed everything. Um, it changed what a centre half has to do as well for his job. And um, in terms of the, the wing backs. If you're a team like Manchester United, you need to be pressing high up the field, which is you defend high. So that's that's the necessity of having a wing-back because they can allow the whole team to sort of push up, push up and beacon pass and deny space. So, you know, the opposition team either you nip the ball off them high up the field or they just end up trying to just pump the ball over the top and you end up getting the ball back anyway. Raman, is this an evolution of football or a Manchester United cutting a crossfire and leaving a tradition behind? in terms of lots of weight, whipping balls into the box. 
And I actually think that Lukaku would would benefit from that. That's why you buy certain strikers to fit your particular style of playing system that you that you have. I mean, I'm probably going a little bit against the grain of modern day football. I don't mind the four four two. Funny enough, because uh, you know, for me, if a particular system doesn't work because those players that you have aren't a up to scratch, b aren't adhering to your, uh, you know, I suppose your uh, um, your quest to to play the ball in a certain way, to play the game in a certain way, then you have to sometimes revert back to basics. I don't think there's nothing wrong with with reverting back to basics, and and I do agree absolutely. You know, the defenders. The primary job should be to defend, and if you can't defend, then not. I wouldn't class you as a defender. Of course, the game has evolved in in certain aspects, and you know it seems to become very fashionable to to have this almost like a a three five two stroke five three two, where the two sort of wing backs, you know, they're, they're pushing up so hard, and it is difficult to play against if your system is the opposite way around, but. Lukaku will always have more joy, I believe, when you've got somebody who can actually cross the ball. Um, and going back to obviously the point that Mike made earlier on, I appreciate Giggs, Beckham, you know, maybe didn't do as so-called as much tracking back or were a bit inconsistent. We were fortunate, I suppose, in the respect that at that time we had a couple of cracking fullbacks. You know, Gary Neville and Danny Serving were superb. Yeah. Um, that's something that I think, I suppose, when we have to balance it, we could say, well, maybe Bex and Giggs could get away with that because they had a lot more reliability at the back. Put That's them into this team and then see... Yeah, it. Well, yeah. Well, 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 I'll be honest with you. I think that here's the other difference, I think. You know, you mentioned about, like, cutting in, etc. And, you, you know, yeah. you said that sometimes. Yeah. Well, this is where the cleverness of a player and the cuteness of a player is important. And that's probably why Jose's still scratching his head saying... Do you know what? I know you're all good at X, Y, and Z, and you know you're good at this, and you're good at that, and you da da da. But but actually, the the game intelligence, maybe one or two of you guys haven't got it, and I think that's where Jesse's a little bit different. Funnily enough, I think his game intelligence is very very good, Absolutely. superb, yeah. and that's why I think he trusts him a bit more. Game intelligence is a big part of obviously you know whatever position you play, in particular if you're uh, the the attacking fullbacks or you know the wing backs or whatever you want to call it. Or if you're from the front three, you're cutting in all the time. Because then what you have to then do is play that intricate football. You have to play closer to your target man. So if Lukaku is your target man all the time, and by the way, I wouldn't be afraid to say if you're having a bit of a downer for so many weeks on, on the trot, you're dropped. Just because Lukaku is his favoured striker for, for obvious reasons. If he's not performing, by the way, for me... Why not drafting Martial or Rashford as your main centre forward? Why not? Absolutely agree. Um, obviously, Lukaku's, Lukaku's not a target man. He's not a target man. Lukaku's best in the ball with his feet and running off the shoulders of his headers. That's what he's best at. No, but what I'm trying to say is, if that's his, if 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 Jose has chosen him as his, even if you don't want to call him his target man, whichever way. But if Jose's chosen him as his number nine, the point I'm trying to make is if he's not performing, which, you know, I'm pretty sure he will do in the coming weeks, if he's not, then why not change it up? No, definitely. Definitely. Look, there's a lot there to discuss. We, 
we're after recording about 40 minutes, so I just want to skip on to the next topic. Um, obviously, next week with internationals, we won't be doing a podcast. We'll be doing one the week after. Um, just a question I want to put to to the two lads before we ask questions from the, the Facebook forum that you can join. we put a link to that in the description. Um, Mike, can Manchester United win something this season? Because I, I, I'm asking that question because after the win over Burnley, I know it's just Burnley, there seems to be a certain lift. And I, I'm not sure if that's because of the performance, because of the results, or because of the party politics, I describe it, from Jose Mourinho of entering the crowd, clapping the fans, handing the child the jacket. And it's all part, in my view, of a play. And to get fans on side, he's constantly referring fans in, in interviews. The fans don't read papers. Fans are the most important. Is this a lift that you think might see us win something this season? Because we desperately need something to show about, and, and a good campaign in Europe as well. Um, do, you, do you want the prediction in my heart, or do you want the prediction in my head? Both. <laughs> okay, so my heart says yes, and and it will turn around, and um, we'll be able to sort of not stop the politics, but at least be able to put that behind us. Much in the way actually Barcelona did last season. There's so much going on behind the scenes at Barcelona last season with the president and the board and the classes with the socio the socios over there as well and everything that was going on in Catalonia and Valverde did an incredible job of galvanising the team that wasn't a particularly great team and, and getting them to, to win uh, the domestic double. My head says, no, that's not going to happen. That Not only will it, do I not think we'll win anything. We may, maybe we'll win the League Cup, the FA Cup, but um, I don't see... I, I, I really... I don't see getting out of the group in the Champions League. Really? Um, and I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. Um, I think we're going to. I think Juventus is certainly a much better side than us. Yeah. There's no question about that. Valencia? Um, and I, I, I think we're really going to. If you've actually watched Valencia's since Marcelino took over, mm. they, are, they play very high tempo. Yeah. You know, style of football. And I think we could really struggle with that, especially there's a lack of pace and urgency sometimes in the midfield, especially if he goes with Polonia or Matic. They're really going to struggle. Do you know um, the, the, the Valencia manager? Sorry, go ahead. No, uh, no go on. Finish your call. The, the, the Valencia manager you just you just mentioned, I've seen has has been linked to to United in recent weeks with the whole Mourinho demeanor um, narrative. But I was just thinking about it over the week, and you know, if United did jump. And appointed him. His ways are so opposite to Mourinho. He's an extremely attack-minded manager. And I'm just thinking, the recruitment process at United is bad enough as it is. Why would you appoint Jose Mourinho and then sack him after buying a number of players that he wanted in previous transfer windows to bring in a manager that has a total different plan, a total different way of working? If they did do it, I was just thinking about it. It doesn't make any sense. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they, how they set up against us because obviously he's renowned as an attack-minded manager. 
Will he come to Old Trafford and do that? Exactly, in my view, naive. Possibly, although I will say that um, the thing to do is if you if you are a manager is to a kind of lay down a way you want to play for the first six months, especially if you come in mid-season, maybe in the way that Klopp did Liverpool, Klopp watches Liverpool, saw that for the, for the first you know eighteen months he was there, that was particularly good. It wasn't really until Virgil Van Dijk's come in that really he's had a defence that is capable of playing at top level. Um, but he recognised that the best attributes of his team are going forward, so he just maximised that everything about that that he could, accepting that they've got to concede goals. It's what Marco Silva was actually doing at Everton. He's another very attack-minded coach, um, and he's accepting that maybe they're going to concede a few goals. But it, what you've touched upon is a wider problem with recruitment and planning at Manchester United, in that there is no planning. The club doesn't know what kind of a club that he wants to be. And that means that we're never going to go anywhere, no matter who's in charge. You know, the club needs to make a decision what kind of a club it wants to be, and it needs to start recruiting on that basis. I told, um, no, I totally agree. Yeah, recruiting that. the, yeah, the backroom staff, which includes bringing in. A, we do need. I know Raman's version, the chief scout that we had who left, um, evidently because I don't think he's been listened to. But we do need to actually bring in an empowered director of football. Because the thing is, at what point? Because the owners of the club, when because I think Mourinho will be won't be United manager next season. I think the broad acceptance is not going to be United manager next season, despite the fact that quite a few of the fans have bought into this mad personality cult that he always creates. But at what point do we ask the question? Do the owners turn around to Red Bull and say that's three managers you've appointed for massive amounts of money? None of them have worked. I think we need to take these decisions out of your hands now because this isn't working anymore. So if that, in, in some way, bringing in um, a, an executive member of staff who actually handles the football side of things is even more important than the manager. Because, you know, really, if you go back, most managers haven't been at big clubs for more than four years. And, that, and this goes back to the 1960s. This, that's nothing new. You know, Ferguson was an exception. Um, but most most managers not big for some more than four or five years because it's really difficult to a keep pressing your ideas and need such as the intensity of managing the club at that level. Everyone kind of gets worn out and needs to just check. You need to change everything up. You need to constantly renew and constantly refresh. So that is that. That's what you touched upon there is a much greater issue that probably is worthy of a podcast in itself, really, Gail. Yeah, Raman, can we win something this season? Why not? I'm always optimistic of trying to win something. I'm just terrible at predict, predicting scorelines. But no, I think <laughs> I think we can. I can certainly see us uh, competing um, uh, very well for, in particular, the domestic cups. Um, Champions League, I agree. That's going to be a very, very, very tall order. Although, in my personal opinion, I think we will get through the group stages. If I'm honest. Um, yeah, Juventus are super strong, no doubt about that. And whilst Valencia are very attack-minded as well, I think that will be quite an interesting battle. Um, you know, in terms of if we can start playing well leading up to those games, whether or not actually they might be more concerned about our attack. Um, so that would be quite uh, quite something. In terms of the league, 
never say never. Uh, although obviously, <laughs> you know, let, let's let's keep it real. Man City are extremely strong. The last, um, the last time we lost two of our first three games, we won the league. I know, but you know, sometimes yeah. these that's they, they, they just never but, seem but, to add but Guardiola up. wasn't in charge of Man City back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no was no was the league, no was the league anywhere near as good, and it was also twenty five years ago. There you go, Guardiola was not in charge of Man City back then. They didn't have oil money, and they didn't have the Bruyne or Aguero. It was football was different. Football was much better then, I think, and I wasn't even born. <laughs> Dale, very quickly, I, I know that you guys just spoke about um, uh, the the direction that Manchester United are or the lack of direction Manchester United as a club have, I, I really do think that um, that for for everyone that's saying Jose won't be there next season, yeah, quite possibly right. But I think one thing he's definitely done, he's shook the foundations of uh, what Ed Woodward thought. Uh, and I think actually Ed Woodward and the Glazers probably uh, undermined just how strong-minded Jose actually is mm. uh, and undermined his position uh, at their peril and I think actually um, the direction of the club will be very important uh, as per obviously the next couple of seasons but but also in terms of what Jose has done I think he's really 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 shook um, that boardroom around uh, like nobody's business and for all yeah and for all it might be that yeah he might not be there beyond uh, the end of the season but one thing's for sure He's certainly rattled the cages up, up up there, and rightly so, because I can't think of any other manager apart from Sir Alex who could have done it. I really can't think of any other manager that could have done that. So, so Alex had the power in terms of when the takeover was taking place in 2005, had Ferguson pulled the plug, the Glazers would not have bought Manchester United because the, the, the stock would have dropped significantly. And, and, I, and I'm thinking about this too, because when the club appointed David Moyes, Woodward was always almost proud about being part of that. And when I suggested to Woodward about Jose Mourinho, he muttered that he would have been too much of a handful to work with. And now that you bring up that point, that maybe he's shooken things up a small bit and maybe an alarm, a wake-up call for the Glazers that pe- people now know, um, which we've always known, but more people know now, that something has to be done about it. And even if Mourinho goes, I think what you're saying is he's left the sort of impact that they have to change. And if they don't Correct. change, um, the fans are going to be They're just going to get more exposed. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to get more exposed. And I think, I, I've know, I know some at the weekend that there was more of a togetherness about the manager from, a fan, from the fans on social media and stuff. And I think that too is a knock-on effect of this that if we're going to support a side, we're not going to support the board. We're not going to support Woodward or Glazers. We're going to support Mourinho because he's the, I suppose, in a way, the lesser of two evils. And you've got two of his senior players, Matic and Lukaku. You know, you don't need to read into any other cryptic messages, whatever, but they've made it absolutely clear uh, of what Jose's about behind the scenes. You know, he's. they've basically said it, listen to the media, he's totally different to you guys, but behind the scenes, hey, listen, he's a different character altogether. You know, this is where your senior players matter. This is why 
you know, the, the losing players like Carrick once they retired, etc., was was a big blow. And I think the, the one of the wisest decisions Jose made last year was keeping Carrick on board in terms of the coaching staff. I think that's a superb decision that was really do because otherwise I think our identity identity would have been crushed even more. To be fair, yeah, Mike, I have a question for you here from um, one of the subscribers to the forum on Facebook. It's in regards to the Moyes era and Michael Carrick's upcoming book. Did the top players at that time, including Rooney, Rio, Van Persie, and Carrick? Did they let United down? Um, hmm. It's a good I, one, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think so. I I think they saw very quickly um, that the, the thing is, is people are very quick to fans are very quick to if you were to break down how it works how it works is how fans and media perceive football the media will target the managers because that's kind of a singular figure that you can target where players always will, uh, fans will always target the players um, I think in that case it became very obvious early on that David Moyes is not up for that job and he and David Moyes didn't help himself by basically going in and, and by all accounts patronising and talking down to players who done far more than he had ever done in his career as a player and far more than he had ever done as a manager. And, um, you know, when you're telling Real Ferdinand he was in his prime, so as I'm concerned, the best defender in the world, that he needs to play more like Phil Jagielka. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. You haven't got a young girl to stand on. He, he was... he was For all the terrible decisions that have been made, since Ferguson left the club, pointing him as the worst one of, of all of them. And and that alone is enough. Should should have been enough. And I, I, I should said it when he when he was fired. I said should have been enough to see up, off Ed Woodward as well. See you know the kind of role on a football side of things. But of course he didn't. And he was also continued making appointments to playing players and doing a really bad job of it. Exactly. I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on on Carrick's book um, to hear more about that that period really because Carrick wasn't exactly the most outspoken um, footballer throughout his career. But he has an opportunity with this book to open the lid on a few things. I'm not I'm not saying that I want to reveal all book and the expose on different things. Just just valuable insight. And just before I ask Raman your question, um, just a note about match of the day at the weekend. They, they showed a clip of, of Joe Hart speaking after the game. And it was actually refreshing to hear a footballer come out after the game and explain in it in in an insightful manner um, the penalty process in which he stopped Pogba scoring. And he went into detail about how having watched Pogba in the past. And it was just insightful. And this book for Carrick gives him an opportunity to for something similar. And I hopefully ever to um, use that and take advantage of it. Raman, Michael Jordan has asked, can we win... The fans that overreact to every result award, win, lose, or draw. Well, we do over. We can't we, win. At large, we <laughs> overreact quite a bit, don't we? Yeah, come on. Look, look, let's let's face it. Majority of us can tend to do that, in particular on social networking and yeah. 
Um, you can't win every single fan over, let's face it, unless you're winning 5 0 every week and you know playing pretty football all the time, which is not going to happen and didn't even happen to Sir Alex Ferguson, by the way. But we we do tend to have this tendency, don't we? And I've done it myself many times, by the way. I've done, in fact, I'll tell you very quickly, we, we were playing obviously Crystal Palace last season. When, I was livid, livid at halftime. I don't know what type of silly tweets I was putting out and stuff. And like, you know, I was thinking, this is pathetic. By the end of the 90 minutes, I was like, I need to eat uh, humble pie because, you know, it all changed. But we, we, we do tend to have that. And that's 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 OK, because that's that's something that we've unfortunately all become accustomed to. Social networking seems to be a sort of source of trying to vent frustration and, and for some people, obviously, raise their popularity stakes. Um but you're not going to win everybody over, are you really? You know, you, even if you had another manager, another regime, something else could go wrong. One thing I've got to say, I do think that there's a lot of uh, people who probably are a little bit more expectant of results instantaneously. And I think that's not just at Manchester United, by the way. That's everywhere, really. You know, that everybody wants or expects success instantly. And you have to sometimes be patient. You know, I, I think that's... That's where, obviously, can you imagine social networking uh, being around when Sir Alex Ferguson was in charge? Get him uh, out. Wow. Get him out. Tara yeah. Fergie. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, you can imagine how it would have been then. It would have been an absolute nightmare. Yeah. No, uh, spot on. Um, just before we, we wrap up this week's podcast, obviously next week we're going to take a break. The internationals are on, unless I can try and get something sorted. Um, there won't be a, a podcast, so you'll have a break from our voices. Um, on that note, quickly, between the two, Mike, any recommendations what to do while there's no domestic football on, that we're in international mode, anything to get our minds off, off things? Go and do something that's nothing to do with football, for God's sake. Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> anything got the cinema got the theatre just read a book you're, you're a Definitely bit of a, a football you're, book. you're a movie buff so any any recent movies that you've enjoyed uh, there's a really good film that's just come out actually uh, by Spike Lee it's called Black Klansman I highly recommend that to anyone um, that's very very good um, yeah I would I would recommend that. But yeah, do some sexy football. You know, save yourselves. That's all I could say. <laughs> uh, Raven, any recommendations? You, I know you're interested in music. Any new albums that you liked? Uh, anything in particular? Well, firstly, I'm going to take up Mike's recommendation. To be fair, I did see a little snippet of that. I'm not a big film buff itself, but uh, you know, I don't really get a chance to go to cinemas as often. But I think I might just take up that recommendation myself. So, uh, so thank you for that recommendation. In terms of music, um, yeah, to be fair, I, I suppose it, it it's all very subjective of what you like. For me, I end up having to play largely Bangra music, so it's changed the light bulb time. Um, but no, I mean, there's there's an event coming up obviously in Birmingham. Um, you know, there's superb acts actually. It's a shine on event. So um, if I get a chance, yes, uh, I may do. But uh, but duties of uh, the entertainment side call before that. So uh, recommendation wise, well, I, I won't bore you with all the uh, change the light bulb music at all. Um, <laughs> nah, nah. I think I think I'll stick to safety first. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Brilliant stuff, lads. Um, but I will say, Dale, I will say, uh, uh, sorry, I must mention, uh, uh, I had the great privilege and honour of meeting uh, the wonderful living legend and a true hero, uh, Harry Gregg. And so oh. if anybody's obviously listening to the uh, to this podcast, um, there is obviously a petition that's been going on for some time. I signed it myself, and, I, and apologies, Dale, if, I hope you don't mind if I'm plugging this. No, but, no, um, no, no, go ahead. But... but, but Having met the great man last night, uh, you know, it was it was unbelievable experience, and uh, it's something that will stay in the memory for myself and my daughter for a long, long time. Uh, it was a very, very unexpected thing, by the way. Um, so, just listening to some of the, the the stories and the anecdotes, and some that were very, very funny, actually, and some obviously, uh, you know, tinged with a great sadness regarding the Munich Air disaster. Um, so there is a petition, um, and uh, please, if anyone can just look out for it, uh, it's uh, for uh, Sir Har- well Harry Gregg becoming knighted, so that he would be Sir Harry Gregg. Um, I know there's thousands that have already signed the petition. Uh, if anybody deserves it, you know, uh, it's definitely Harry Gregg. I'd love to see him be Sir Harry Gregg. Absolutely. So humble, such a wonderful, wonderful man. You know, rescued people from obviously the wreckage as well, including a baby and mother as well. So, um, yeah, if anybody's listening, please uh, uh, kindly just uh, sign that petition. So there's my recommendation. Yeah, we, we, we'll 100% share that on social media to our, our pages too. Um, just on the actually, the bizarre enough thing, I've noticed this petition's been going on for maybe two, three years. Would I be right in saying that, Raman? I've noticed doing the rounds for some time. And why is it taking so long? It, it, it's probably a topic for another podcast, but... It's um, it doesn't really like he's justified what he deserves. This you know, um, there's very few people in sport that can that can compare anything they have done to what Harry Gregg's done. Um, not just sport, but life in general. I I I would go beyond and say, um, and on that note, I think I think we leave it. Actually, it's actually a lovely note, Raman, to bring up at the very end, and and thanks for sharing that. Um, as for the podcast that's wrap up hopefully you enjoyed it make sure you spread the word about the podcast subscribe on iTunes Spotify Audio Boom the whole lot Um, that's it for this week no game this weekend so enjoy the the week off still Giggs goes he's through he's scored Giggs he's had the goal that's played for Manchester
When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.